Welcome back to the United podcast, Sevilla 3, Manchester United nil in the Europa League. If you're one of these people, I don't care about the Europa League, whatever happens, um, I'm calling you a liar. Um, your feeling now confirms my thoughts in regards to that. Um, everyone wants to win every sort of match Manchester United are involved in, regardless of the competition, um, whether you rate the Europa League or not. I'm sure your anger and frustration is as high as it has ever been, and that is proof that you do care about Manchester United and the Europa League. So, um, Larry, it's not a good morning, so I wouldn't say good morning to you, but it's 7 o'clock here on a Friday morning, and disaster has struck, and um, I think a few Manchester United players have probably sealed their fate as uh, Man United players. Yeah, I'm with you, Tom. That was a woeful performance. That, that that has to be up there with one of the worst performances this season. I guarantee uh, it's not, worse than Anfield. It's, it's worse it, than it Anfield. Is, it is worse than Anfield because the reality is at Anfield, Liverpool had eight shots, seven went in. So it was just one of those games. Everything, you get a luck of gold. This had nothing to do with luck. This was a lackluster performance and Manchester United made their own bed. The Two of the goals, completely avoidable. I'd argue all three have been avoidable, if I'm being honest. The set piece, the way we conceded, uh, it, it was a disgraceful performance. And we'll get into individuals in a moment. But I think from this game, there is a handful of players who have stamped their transfer papers. Because you can't allow the level of performance we saw in a quarterfinal like that. You just can't. It's it's not acceptable as a Manchester United player. We'll get into individuals and sort of who sealed their fate in the performances. And as I always say, people say it's a team game and there's no I in team. But I always say, well, there's 11 eyes. Okay, there's 11 individuals and that's what makes up the team. So we'll get into all those. And I'm sure that's where a lot of the discussion will rightly sort of centre around. However, just the feeling in regards to... I saw this match going like this in regards to away in Spain. That's what happens with Manchester United in European football. No matter if we're, if we're no good or if we are brilliant, that's what happens when we go to Spain. Just has that feeling of before the ball even gets to a play, you know, okay, don't touch him. It's going to be a foul. It's going to be a foul. Touches him. It's a foul. You just get this feel, and that's not to blame the referee. You Sevilla were far better than Manchester United. It just has the feel, the crowd runs up for it. And it just has that feeling whenever these, again, even when we are good. So it's not sort of a huge criticism of these players but we were going to cave to the pressure of that crowd. It just had that feeling that these Manchester United players, or we, we praise them when things are well and we're playing well, but ultimately it's not a surprise that we sort of cave to that pressure under that crowd. It's, again, if we go away to Brighton, it's their biggest game of the season. If we go away to Newcastle, it's their biggest game of the season. Suddenly we go away to Sevilla, it's their biggest game in probably one of the, in their recent history besides the finals. And it just has that feeling no matter what we do, the players aren't mentally up for it. Look, I take your point about Manchester United and Spain and, and recent history will, will tell you that. But I would also kind of go back and say, you know what? Under Eric Ten Hag, I don't really think that that flies anymore because the style of football is different. And Manchester United deal with this every time they go to an away ground. It's, their, it's the opposition's biggest game of the season. And that's not an arrogance thing. It's just the truth, right? Manchester United are a big football club. But the, the thing is, Tom, like this performance in particular – you know how you get rid of a, a loud crowd? You play good football and you shut them up. It's as simple as that. And Manchester United just failed to play football. They failed to do the fundamentals. Let's talk about the first goal to, for a minute. Playing football, well, the first goal, playing football was our issue. Exactly. That, that, that's where, look, I'm not blaming Eric Ten Hag. I'm not blaming Eric Ten Hag at all. It's David De Gea and Harry Maguire and the individuals on the field. Ultimately, everyone shares a the blame there because ultimately that's where you go back to my first, my first point towards Eric Ten Hag in regards to that, you have to know, the first two minutes of your pressed high, the last thing you need to do, you can stick to your principles if you want and tell the team to play out from the back. 
I'm sorry, do you want your principles and sort of prepare to win three games in 12 months' time or do you want to win this 90 minutes? He had to go long. You look at Brentford at the start of the season, same thing with Christian Eriksen, David De Gea and Christian Eriksen. If a team's pressing high, just don't play it in there the first couple of minutes. What do you do? You play it in a player who's the, the least confident in world football and ask him to play football. Eric Ten Hag's so at I, I fault there. David De Gea and Harry Maguire, all three are at fault in that first five minutes. I disagree with that completely. I've got to be honest. No, I disagree with that because at the end of – okay, so first let, let's look at that goal. Firstly, to your first point, principles. Manchester City don't change their principles. And we're the not thing Manchester is, City. We're, we're, we're back three with David De Gea, Harry Maguire. All right, th that's fine. At the end of the day, Maguire puts his hands out, like almost demanding the ball, right? So, so De Gea have to. Every, every player calls for the ball. Tom, to. if that was if that Martinez, if that was the Sandro Martinez, who was in a similar situation in the last match, managed yeah. to get the ball away to his left back. Harry Maguire play, doesn't play Lissandro Martinez. Play Lissandro. Don't play Harry Maguire. That's not David De Gea's fault. Yes, it is. Day, if Harry Maguire is sitting there demanding the ball, David De Gea Just trusted his player. Sorry, Larry, that's amateurish. If someone calls for the ball, that doesn't mean you have to pass them. Every player should be calling for ball to attract defenders. Just because if you if I have the ball and you call for it, Hopefully that maybe that attracts a defender in open space somewhere. Just because you call for it doesn't mean I have to pass you um, the ball. It was on. If Maguire bothered to be a professional footballer and actually scan around him, he either comes close and hits the ball wide, or he'll take it on the half turn and he's beat three players. How long has David De Gea been at Old Trafford? What's that have to do with Harry Maguire? Should he be aware of Harry Maguire's ability in that situation? He should have the evidence to say, well, hang on, he's not probably going to deal with this pretty well. So all everyone's at fault in regards to that goal. Harry Maguire, of course. David De Gea, of course. Eric Ten Hag, in terms of sort of keeping the, after that first couple of minutes, playing out from the back. I think everyone's to blame, or the individuals and the collective. Look, that, that is a valid point, and of course, like yes, there's an element of that. But at the end of the day, yes, I, you can criticize the tactics. I would expect Manchester United to go to any football club and be able to play football from the back. Like I, that's just my expectation. Now, call me arrogant. Call me. That's the expectation, but but look at the reality of the situation in regards to... Well, then, well, then let's blame Eric Ten Hag for this. Why is Harry Maguire playing? He shouldn't play. Simple that's what fact. I said. In terms of the individuals, we're going to get into that, and Harry Maguire and David De Gea and Jaden Sancho, they'll obviously dominate this, the discussion. And um, Eric Ten Hag, look, he's brilliant. He's the furthest the furthest person of this club sort of from criticism, but you do have to point it out in regards... It was just stupidity, the highest... Order. And it's where I've looked at some of the sort of games away in the premiership this season a little bit naivety and that, that he'll get that in terms of okay he's a new manager coming into a new league he will sort of learn from some experiences but this this is one where i've just seen this so many times whether under Sir alex ferguson Louis van el Mourinho, wherever we are with manchester united going away to spain and doing that is a recipe for disaster for manchester united whether we're good or whether we're bad that was always going to happen when you're playing out from the back two minutes in all game in, in spain where a team's pressing high yeah, I understand all of that. Uh, look, on the in terms of this performance, mate, I'm, I'm honestly I don't really blame Tan Hag for a lot of it. I think if you oh, look at yeah. the nature of the goals we concede and the and the lack of ability to play football is simply individual basis. And the only criticism I can probably put in terms of personnel, look, if McTominay was fit, honestly, I would have put McTominay at centre back. I really would have, just because you've got a more physical presence who's actually good on the ball. Harry Maguire just needed to come off and he didn't. And, and I can understand why to an extent. Like I didn't, 
I, I agreed with Luke Shaw coming on. I don't understand why Aaron Wan-Bissaka was taken off. I, I think it had to be Maguire to come off. And I, it should have been Lindelof moved to Where do you right. sit with Eric Ten Hag there? Because we look at some of the brave decisions. One drop in Harry Maguire for the per- first, well, for the whole of the season pretty much, um, unless there's, sort of, there's injuries at centre-back. He's dropped Harry Maguire, ultimately sold Ronaldo. I think there was one other big decision um, from him. I forget, forget which one it was. But he's obviously made these huge decisions. Ultimately, now, though, he's in a situation where Harry Maguire is the, on paper, obvious decision to come in just in regards to availability. But in regards to our sort of preference... No, no, I'm talking in regards to, okay, we'll put McTominay or Luke Shaw or Casemiro, whatever. But ultimately, he's making the decision. He's shown he's made a big decision before by dropping Harry Maguire. So he can simply not choose him now, but he is choosing him. So I'm thinking... Eric Ten Hag, is he making a brave enough decision? No, he's not. And what he, what he needs to do is when McTominay is fit, we saw Sabitza and McTominay play well as a midfield partnership with Bruno. And uh, and I'm, I'm going to mention Bruno in a moment, but I'll get this out first. I think McTominay and Sabitza as a two can make it work with Bruno playing in that slightly deeper role and Sabitza a bit more advanced. I'd almost be tempted. You either go Casemiro at centre-back or you go Luke Shaw at centre back, but one of those. Well, Luke Shaw's not going to be bad. He's going. I can guarantee Luke Shaw's going to be out. He's going to be injured. He was struggling the last ten minutes. I don't think Ten Hag wanted to bring him on. I think it was clearly a case of. Well, oh yeah, definitely. But he also got injured. He he's not going to be available Sunday. Speaking I guarantee. Fingers crossed. Martial, no. Martial, Martial's his papers. Done. His papers have to be stamped as well for different reasons. Nothing to do with ability. But if you can't play five games, but and again, I I know it's not ideal in terms of this guy's had like. And you know it. When you've had leg injuries, like you have a hip, then you go for your hip, then your hamstring goes, then, you, then your calf goes. And it doesn't look like it was a bad injury for Martial. But at the end of the day, whether he's – he'll miss a game. And even if he misses a game, if he can't put five games together, like, sorry, mate, you just can't have a future at the club. Like, it's just – he's unreliable. Yeah, no, no. Look, it sums up everyone's thoughts over the last uh, – whether you're a fan of him or not a fan, I think that's the, the sad reality of the situation and through no fault of Veghorst, but throwing Veghorst on in that last – again, he simply had to, but it forfeits any sort of chance of scoring a goal in terms of Veghorst not going to score a goal in European football for Man United. That, that if you put me on, I'm not going to score a goal, um, simply. And that is the case where whatever the situation is around Marshall or Veghorst, even if they're both the say at the club, you need Harry Kane to come in. You, you need that £100 million yeah. striker to come in. Uh, now, ultimately, you think probably both are going to go. Uh, well, you know, if you're playing a game of football manager, you would sell both of Anthony Martial and Veghorst um, look into the future. So ultimately, you need to bring two or three strikers in. Now, what's that going to cost? That's going to cost $200 million. Potentially over $200 million depends on the calibre you want. Um, are the Glazers going to do that? Is Qatar going to do that? Um, that's a discussion for another day in and around the ownership. Um, that's gone quiet, which may be a good thing. But um, look, Tom, um... it just highlights so many issues. Talk to me about Jaden Sancho. I mean, we've seen Anthony improve so far this season, and I hate doing this, but a conversation does need to happen now, to, to be honest. I think giving someone an excuse for, you know, yet you're young, too, it's been two years, but you're young, you're English, adapting to a different league, etc. We've seen more from Anthony in seven months than we've seen from Jaden Sancho in two years. And, and I think that first half is basically validates all of those points so at what point do we say Jadon Sancho isn't good enough for Manchester United because I just I got to be honest here he's put glimpses together his best games come against poor opposition and every time we verse half decent team Jadon Sancho goes missing so at what point do we say this guy's not a Manchester United player because I'm honestly I'm, I'm just about there 
My patience is just about gone paper thin. He doesn't even show glimpses, mate. Like, it's just... Look, he's very close. Quality-wise, he has the quality. Well, where the almost category I'd put him in is, is close, and it sounds a little bit weird, is sort of in the Harry Maguire discussion. Sancho's good enough in regards to ability. Now, mentally and sort of physically, okay, that's another discussion. That's all sort of... All, all, all the makings of a play. You can't just have the ability. You need everything that comes with it. So so obviously it's a whole package. But in regards to he has simply no confidence. He's It's why you don't play Harry Maguire in that situation because he's he, he doesn't want the ball. I know he's calling for the ball, but it's the last thing you want. Jaden Sancho doesn't want to be out there. He doesn't want to be playing football at the moment. Now, he might sort of come out and do an interview and say something different. My my visual, my, my perception of what I see out there, he doesn't want to be there. He's not happy. And now that something on the pitch or something in his personal life, I'm not sure. If it's in his personal life, you hope he's getting the support that he needs, but he, he's not confident. You need to be confident to perform for Manchester United. Now, he needs to find that confidence. If he wants a future at Manchester United, Eric Ten Hag needs How to give him that confidence. Him? Yeah, no, that, 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 that's his him? issue. That that's one. That's his issue. That Manchester United is a cutthroat business. When you have our best player on the bench who's playing in your position, um, that's where you're going to get replaced. And then ultimately, when Marcus Rashford comes in, where's Jaden Sancho going to get his minutes? He's not going to get his minutes. Is that going to give him confidence? Of course not. So that that is the, the catch twenty two, and that is sort of the uphill battle Jaden Sancho faces at the moment. But um, in regards to his future as a Manchester United player, ability wise, there's no doubt. Look, we're playing far better football with Jaden Sancho than Marcus Rashford. So he offers something in that aspect. But at the end of the day, in regards to contribution, like in the, the final third, which um, we pay these players for in the, the final third, and while we pay Jaden Sancho over 300 grand a week, he's probably getting paid more than Marcus Rashford at the moment. I'm just thinking, and ultimately as well, look at Anthony's work rate today and Jaden Sancho's work rate. Anthony was playing right back for half that game. Yeah, so ultimately, I think Jaden Sancho, look, if someone's going to come in and give a little bit of money, maybe he could sort of weigh up a debate around his future. I think his future is safe for another 12 months at Manchester United under Eric Ten Hag, whether that's right or wrong. I think with well, patient, you know, I don't think, like, truthfully, and again, if, if anyone has a different opinion, that's fine. I think I'm pretty sensible in terms of giving players time and a chance, but there has to come a point where you just say, you know what, this guy... Isn't even worth half the salary. He's not. He's not worth half his wages. Like he, he just. He, he has no impact. Ganache. My only issue. Look, I, I agree. My issue though with Jaden Sancho. Okay, you sell Jaden Sancho. I agree. Let's get rid of him. Let's get rid of those three hundred um, grand a week of wages. Well, suddenly you're going to need to replace that. And suddenly, what are we going to do? We're going to spend eighty million, seventy million on a player, and we're going to be having the same discussion. Are they good enough? They're not quite good enough. Like it's and it's risk reward. Obviously, you do need to sort of always evolve and look to the future. And every signing is a gamble, of course. But um. It's why so very few do make it at Manchester United. Because let's go say let's go get Osherman for 120 million. Let's go get Jude Bellingham for 150. They're going to work out. Who knows? They, they might be absolute flops. We've seen world class players like Paul Pogba come in and, and not be great at Manchester United. We've seen Radamel Falcao, the best striker in the world, come in and be an absolute donkey. We've, we've seen sort of far worse players at Manchester United go on and have great careers. You can never tell until they sort of perform in a Manchester United shirt. So we can have all these answers: sell this player, sign this player. And ultimately, I'm the same. I'm doing the same thing. But ultimately, we never do know. I think all of us, when Jaden Sancho arrived, who's up there in one of the top two or three young players in world football, I think every team, every Manchester United fan wanted him. Now oh, we're no looking doubt. like it. So it is one of those things. But sort of, I think a lot of the discussion, we'll sort of go back to individuals in a little bit when we sort of maybe maybe around three, two ones. I'm not sure. But in regards to futures, but any in, in regards to the game, we'll discuss playing out from the back at the start. Well, the second part of the De Gea discussion, the, the the last goal, 
that doesn't do him any favors in regards to and that was one of the ones as i said at the start of the game in regards to seeing how matches go in spain when, when the ball's sort of going towards a play you say this is going to be a severe foul in two seconds or this is going to be a severe corner in two seconds and those things eventuate when that ball went up in the air i was sitting on the couch i was watching with my dog said so this goal it was like the one remember 2005 would it have been 2004 2005 roy carroll where tottenham had the shot from halfway as soon as that ball left the, the guy's foot on halfway and went up in the air he said he's dropping this in his own goal two seconds later hits his chest bounces in the goal some when this ball went in the air to david de Gea, he said if de Gea comes out now he's going to miscontrol this two seconds later the ball's into the back of the net so again i throw that into the discussion obviously it's 100 de Gea's fault clearly it's just you, it's just that feeling you know it's going to have when the player's not confident to make go and make that decision. Harry Maguire's not confident. De Gea's decision to play Harry Maguire is De Gea's fault. It's Maguire's fault for the execution. De Gea is not confident to come out and try and deal with that situation was just okay. The execution is his fault, but the bigger the bigger fault for me is the decision to go and get involved. It was unprofessional. The, the mistake was unprofessional. It's not something becoming of a professional goalkeeper at, at the top of European football. I, I don't know what more to say about it. It doesn't mean like he to have David De Gea is a good player. Like he's got his limitations, and I think we all know that. But in terms of shot stopping, there's there's not many better. I think he's he's really good at what he's good at, and he's really bad at what he's bad at. And, and I think that's ultimately what you saw in De Gea today. You saw the worst of him, and. Um, and again, I come back to, and and, the, and this is why the ownership situation is so complex because Eric Ten Hag's got a potential opportunity to rebuild this team over one season or, or four. And that's ultimately going to come down to what is the ownership and how much money are they willing to give him? Because I think the time has come to move David De Gea on or have him as a backup goalkeeper. I think that at least has to be someone who can come in and compete with him. And we're simply, not, we don't have that option at the moment. I think it, despite his frailties, he's clearly first choice. And there has to be another goalkeeper who can come in, offer something different. And then maybe it's a case of a tool for the right job. If you're going to counterattack, you're versing Manchester City, for example. Maybe You, you can't can have right. two goalkeepers in regards to, it's not a right winger or a, or a central midfielder. A goalkeeper, well, you, have a, you have a first choice goalkeeper. If that's the case, then I don't think David De Gea should be our first choice goalkeeper anymore. Because... At the end of the day, and again, you saw today when Maguire plays, it forces United to play deeper. United sat so deep today, and I don't think that that was a tactical decision. I think it was something we were forced into because Sevilla pressed us back, and our our central defender captain, who has nothing to prove apparently, forces us to sit back because he's not comfortable playing on the halfway line. Why doesn't Eric Ten Hag? And look, I agree, but why doesn't Eric Ten Hag then say, "David, hit the channel." Great question. I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. And it could be a case of being a disciple of Pep Guardiola. If you look at Pep Guardiola, for all his brilliance, he is stubborn in his approach. It is one way of playing football and one way only, and he will live and die by that principle. And maybe there's an element of that with Eric Ten Hag. We saw a bit of adaptability at the start of the season after the 4-0, where we did tend to hoop the ball longer. But I think Ten Hag is quite stubborn in, in, and, and, and is quite set in his ways and i think in to maybe in ten hag's mind in order for this squad to evolve the way that he wants it to it's a case of well i'm gonna have the same principles and then when i swap players in and out the players who are there are familiar with my principles as opposed to i'm gonna keep changing the tactics from game to game which makes it harder to embed those philosophies so 
damned if you do, damned if you don't. I, I agree with you in principle, but maybe that's maybe that's the battle that Eric Sanhag's having with himself. Well, I do see that point, but ultimately knockout football, um, when you go need a goal, um, it's results for me rather than principles, but I'm not the manager, I'm not paid. Well, the, the big bucks by Eric Sanhag. Midfield, woeful, Ericsson. That, that's, that, that's what concerns me more in regards to, not long term, but in terms of Sunday, in terms of a successful season and trophies and Manchester United's treble, um, or Manchester City's potential treble, how that impacts Man United's 99 treble, that midfield three, they had nothing. They were running on empty. And I'm just thinking, I, I was calling for Fred at halftime, my God. And I'm the last person to call for Fred to come on. I thought, no, I wasn't clamoring for him to start. I think a lot of people in hindsight will say, oh, Fred should have started. I think, um, uh, I think. That was hey, the Tom, right midfield trade let, let me tell you what let me tell you what I learned today. Never criticize Bruno Fernandez again because when he doesn't play, we're a completely different football team. And you know what makes it even more impressive? Ericsson's had three months off. Granted, rehabilitating. Casemiro's been suspended. He hasn't been playing a lot of football. Bruno plays more minutes than anyone else, and he's the most energetic person on that mm. football pitch. The guy's dead set, not human. And when you watch the performance today and you look at the lack of energy in that midfield, and then you think the player who's played the most minutes, who runs the most, is our most energetic player. And forget all of that. He's our most brilliant player on the ball because without him, we had no creativity whatsoever. I think there might be one or two that trickled wide, maybe sort of in between and across or a shot. Do we have a shot on goal? Like create a chance? So no, Vegcourse maybe had kind of could have shot. Wan-Bissaka's very tame shot. Oh, yeah, Wan-Bissaka was a shot. I'll call it a back pass. And then, look, that's not criticism. Wan-Bissaka, he's, he's not in the team to have shots. But, um, yeah, no, look, the criticism Just of Bruno Fernandez. with power, man. Just hit it. Yeah, no, but look, Bruno Fernandez, I've never understood the – the, the criticisms of him in regards to what he brings to the team, uh, you're completely right in regards to we are a different team. Would we have won today? I'm not sure. It's a different game, though. And I think we go out there with a different uh, mindset, a different sort of intent, and that's what Bruno Fernandez brings. So he's been absolutely brilliant since the day he's walked. I share frustrations with him in, in his game, but I think he's improved now. I think Eric Ten Hag has improved Bruno Fernandez. And um, look, we need him back. Fingers crossed he's back fighting fit on Sunday against um, Brighton because, my God, our season, it's almost feels like it's on the line. And you could argue if you're sort of been a, you could be a real cynic, forget the season. Not, not our status as a club, but far from it. We'll always remain the biggest club in England and sort of, in my opinion, in the world. But ultimately, our sort of a huge part of our history, what makes us in terms of that 99 treble, that is um, not up for grabs, but um, it's on the line in regards to a few bragging rights. And ultimately, if we don't, I think Manchester City potentially win the league now. I still. Oh, 50-50. I, I still see Arsenal doing something that the Eddie had just because they've been the best team this season. I could see them getting what they deserve. But a betting man, you'd have City as favourites to win the league. I think they're clearly going to win the Champions League now. I think they I think they smash Real Madrid. Not smash Real Madrid, but I think they go through comfortably. Mm. And um, ultimately then, they've got Sheffield United in the FA Cup. They're, they're very strong favourites to win the FA Cup. There's a good shout. They're probably going to play Brighton in the final, for God's sake. So I I'm just thinking that. Past Brighton. I really yeah, I, I think we lose. And I, I said I think we lose to Brighton even at full strength. I just think yeah. at Wembley, in regards to the occasion, in regards to the, the, our fixtures beforehand, I think Brighton do us regardless. Now I think they're quite comfortably going to beat us on the weekend, which is a bad feeling as a Manchester United fan saying Brighton are going to wipe the floor with you at Wembley. But I do think that will be the case. But um, it's in our hands. If we want to stop this treble, it's in our hands. We, we've got an opportunity to have a say. And it's up to these players. Um, you know, do, do they want to beat Brighton? Do they have it in them? Do, do they want to beat Manchester City? 
that would be the sweetest way to do it. I don't want to rely on Arsenal. We've got an opportunity to stop it ourselves. We did it in 77. Oh, you know, that's the situation I want now. Look, regardless what happens in the league, I think City will win the Champions League and that will be painful. We'll have to deal with that as fans. But if we can look back in 20 years' time, well, they could have won the treble, we stopped it. Like in 77 when um, we stopped um, Liverpool, not that I was around, but obviously you look back in terms Arsenal. of we stopping their treble in the FA Cup. Who do Arsenal versus Arsenal playing tomorrow? Is it Southampton they're versing Arsenal? Yeah, they're, look, they've got the three points tomorrow against Southampton. Obviously, Friday night kickoff in the UK, Saturday morning here. So, look, Arsenal extend that gap, which is a big thing for them this weekend because City obviously yeah. have the FA Cup match. So, um, big weekend football in regards to success in a cup and going through to a final, but also that title race, regardless of games in hand, um, points on the board um, is crucial. And they so move, um, create a bit of a buffer tomorrow. Before before we do any previews for upcoming games, Tom, Harry Maguire, does he play for Manchester United this weekend, let alone again? Well, he's suspended, so he doesn't... Well, they don't play this weekend because he's suspended, and that's what causes huge concern because I don't think Luke Shaw will be available. Now, fingers crossed he is. I, I think he'll be injured. So Victor Lindelof obviously plays. Scott McTominay is not available. Well, he didn't even travel to Spain, so you don't think Scott McTominay will be available. What do you do at centre-back? At the moment, Victor Lindelof is your only option. I think you have to play Casemiro, but then what do you do in midfield is you probably maybe got to throw Fred in now in regards to just sort of legs in regards to your play Ericsson and Sabitzer. As a midfield too, do you drop Bruno in that role? I'm not sure. But ultimately, um, Harry Maguire, it's one of those ones where we, we can discuss the ability, good enough, not good enough. I think we all sort of side on one side of that. But in regards to, uh, that's why I go back to Eric Ten Hag. It was the wrong decision by Eric Ten Hag to play. No, I know he has a captain's armband, but Eric Ten Hag has made big decisions before. He's dropped Harry Maguire. He's sold Ronaldo. I just think he's made these big decisions. He had a choice. He could have changed one or two things or put the player with the sort of lowest confidence ever seen in world football at any period of time, put him at centre-back um, against a team that's going to press you. And I just thought, okay, Harry Maguire's at fault. But my God, Eric Ten Hag, he was at fault hugely for me. And I, and I, look, I, I feel sick for criticising Eric Ten Hag, but ultimately, don't put him you in that what? position. I almost, uh, I'd look at it the other way. I think Ten Hag's basically given Maguire the rep to hang himself with. Like, and, and in terms of... Yeah, but to do that at the expense yeah, but, of Man United fans and our success. Yeah, but you know what, Tom? I, I think Harry, Harry Maguire has put his foot in his own mouth. And, it's, and by what I mean by that is a couple of weeks ago when he was on, was it international gym? Or it was after a United game. Wasn't, he, 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 didn't actually say, he didn't actually say that. It was it was misquoted. But I, I do know what you mean. But that was... That was but he, he, no, it was a fake. It was it was three different sentences merged into one. It, it didn't actually say that. Now Twitter, obviously, mind of its own, did its own thing. But um, that, again, that is what Harry Maguire attracts. He attracts these things that, that they stick with him, even if they're false. They stick with him, and as I said, perception becomes reality. Um, a ball bounced off his head in the first leg to make it two all, and then he's at fault for the first goal today. Like the guy's just a calamity. Like. He, he just... But that's what I mean. Just don't put him in that position where a ball can bounce off his head or don't put him in a position where he can okay. lose the ball in a dangerous area. Forget right, let's, let's forget the fact that he's at fault, yeah? He's got the armband on his, on his arm. I, I saw Lindelof telling everyone to calm down. I didn't say Harry Maguire saying a word. Why is no, that? That's when, that's when the camera's on Victor Lindelof. The camera might have been on Juan Bissaka and Harry Maguire's telling... But even just, the situation that, with De Gea. So De Gea comes off his line and he clears the ball when Maguire's going back. And Maguire's doing this to De Gea. Is that what I expect more from a captain? I, if Bruno no, Fernandez did that, which he does. 
This is not defensive Harry Maguire, but they're Bruno, clutching Bruno, at straws there. Bruno's vocal though. You see the vo- you see Bruno being vocal. He accuses his players. He challenges his players. He demands for them to be better. I don't see that from Maguire. No, but, but just that, that. Look, I, I agree. But that specific incident where Maguire clears the ball out, all he could do a simple decision. It was a, it kind of looks shaky, but it's, it's standard play in a normal situation. When he put the it package out, package of him, right? Like, and I agree with you. Like in isolation, these are not big deals, but. The fact that he's at fault regularly, he just he's he's a magnet to mistakes. I don't know what it is, and you know what I think it is though. Like they always say, like the players who get injured are the ones that don't go hard. It's it's almost like a, a counterintuitive. If you're going 50-50 for a ball, if you're going forty and the, and your opposition player is going sixty, you're the one that's going to get hurt. When you both go in high velocity, you'll come out fine. And I think there's a case of that with Maguire. I think there's just that he's got he plays with anxiety. He just looks like a player who's, who's anxious on the field. And I think every time the ball comes near him, you can his heart's beating just double the speed. And that's why he attracts mistakes. But that's where, and look, I completely agree. And that's where you, you kind of would, in an ideal situation in regards to one just this. Who comes in for him? That's the question. So if, 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 let's assume Martinez and Varana out for the rest of the season, which is so painful to think about now that I've just watched that 90 minutes. Um, who would you deploy at centre back? You got Luke Shaw, you got Scott McTominay. What do you, what no, look, look, obviously it's Victor Lindelof. No, it's Luke Shaw and Victor Lindelof. And then you, you put either Malasio or Diego um, Delo on the left hand side. But ultimately, let's say Luke Shaw's not available and you do have to sort of tinker with things. The, the, the obvious answer is Casemiro. Now, Casemiro's legs in regards to his run in the last couple of weeks, you think, is Victor Lindelof the quickest? No, is Harry Maguire the quickest? Probably not. So I'm not sure what you do there. Um, Casemiro is no, he's no slouch. He, he's not rapid, but he's, he's got decent pace. Have you seen him walk around the pitch today? He's found Luke Shaw's sort of he looks buff leggy. AK. He looks leggy. He looks leggy. But the whole He's midfield looked leggy. Oh, yeah. No, no. Not, not, not to single him out, but facts are facts. Our midfield three today were at walking pace. I don't know what it is. Between Casemiro and Ericsson, they haven't played a heap of football over the last couple of months. Casemiro has been getting a break every so often because he can't help but get suspended. And if we went through today, he would have been suspended, um, which has almost become a bit of a joke or an ongoing joke. But I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. I think this where it almost comes back to the man you mentioned there, Bruno Fernandes. Like things are infectious. You have Harry Maguire there. It's a magnet. Mistakes are infectious. Everyone gets a little bit hesitant and sort of lacks a little bit confidence. With Bruno Fernandez is there and he has that intent, that energy, that vibe, sort of that enthusiasm. That's infectious. So that might get that extra 5%, 10% out of those other players around him in regards to energy. So I think the, the return of Bruno Fernandez is going to be huge against Brighton. I don't think it'll be enough. I think, as I said, Brighton will sort of perform quite well. And unfortunately, what will happen is one or two of their players will have world sort of worldies and put in great displays. They'll be the ones we want. We'll want McAllister for £70 million. Suddenly McAllister will come in £70 million. A year later, we'll have a discussion. Should we be buying players from Brighton? Is he good enough? So I'm just thinking, ultimately, someone's oh, going to have a great performance. Enough. I like him. I like him a lot. Oh, yeah, but, but we liked we liked Jaden Sanjo before he arrived at Old Trafford. Like, nah, the, one, these one's things. proven in the Premier League, though. Yeah, no, no look, uh, no doubt. But I just think, yeah, Brighton are going to, a lot of their players, at Matoma, McAllister. I, th- I think Evan Ferguson is injured. Um, I believe he's injured. I don't think he'll play. But one of their players are going to, I'd take it they're, they're going to have good games. But ultimately, what that's going to do for the price tag, that's going to put Kaiseda is going to go from 60 million to 80 million. Matoma is going to go from 30 million to 70 million. McAllister is going to go from 45 million to 80 million. That's simply what will happen when Manchester United are interested in a player. And um, 
you kind of Box if, makes if, a if really you do want to. Point here. Box makes a good point here. 31, 31, 29, 30. Oh, and Tom's left me. See you, Tom. Um, no, look, that's a valid point, Box. But is 30 like, is 30 as finished as we assume it is? You know what I mean? Like, I just, I, I want to stop short of saying a player's too old in that group. I think 29, 30 is all right. And, and Fred is all legs. Like, Fred is all energy in terms of how he plays, right? But. I don't know. It's a, it's a really interesting one. I, I'm not too sure. I think there's some validity to your point, but Bruno Fernandez is 29, right? So um, it, by that argument, if we're saying Casemiro, Eriksen, Sabitza, Fred, no legs, well, Bruno's 29. He plays every minute of every single game, and he, he never stops running. So yeah, no. Look, it, it's where uh, I didn't get the first party point, but I guess in and around sort of those ages of the players, I, I think. And again, sometimes we sort of make these points that are in frustration in the heat of the moment and say, okay, sell this play. And then on Sunday, they'll put in a good performance. They'll say, and I always told you they were up for it. Like that, that is the life of a football fan as a Man United fan. But I know even you have been extremely critical of Scott McTominay today. Even you messaged me, Scott McTominay should be playing. And well, that would be the last thing you would have said last week, maybe the last thing you'd say next week. But today, that's how we feel. So in regards to those ages, when we see Ericsson play bad. Or, just, I felt like United just needed some energy out there. We just look tired and McTominay, like, I think, you know, and this is, I'll put my hand up, you know, I think, I think the criticisms of McTominay are right, but I think right tool for the right job, playing box to box as opposed to as a number six. And he, and he looks, he looks substantially better. And I'd, I'd even argue he's better than Fred. Um, if you're talking box to box player, I think McTominay is better than Fred. You, you've, you've converted me. And I think finally, well, no, because we saw him get the opportunity. Um, well, no, that's, there's no that. argument there. Obviously, when someone does sort of shed light on that argument, I'll be polite and say it's an opinion. The opinion is wrong. Obviously, Scott McTominay is far better than Fred in that role. Fred has a sort of really sort of positive attributes and I think sort of valuable for the squad. But in regards to a number eight position, uh, obviously, Scott McTominay is a far better sort of tool. That doesn't mean, okay, one has a sort of brighter future at Old Trafford. That's obviously Eric Ten Hag's decision and sort of what you can do contract-wise and value and transfer fee. But um, Scott McTominay, the criticism, as I say, are right, 100% valid of Scott McTominay. Um, they're over the top, just as they are with any player. I think all the criticisms, even with Harry Maguire, okay, just a huge criticism, potentially sort of, as I say, Stampy's Manchester United papers, the criticisms are valid. They're over the top because with Harry Maguire, they've turned into abuse, as they have with David De Gea, Bruno Fernandes, et cetera. So, um, no ultimately, look, today, Tom. Yeah, that was my next point. Three, two, ones, obviously. We're not going to hand out three, two, ones because as I said, I thought, just from attitude, mentally, and obviously execution physically as well, the players weren't at it. If you did have to give not three points, but a player who didn't let themselves down or sort of worst of a uh, sort of best of a bad bunch, anyone did stand up. I thought maybe it's maybe make a case of Victor Lindelof. I'm trying to think anyway. Anthony, Victor Lindelof, and Anthony, maybe. I thought, and that's not to say they were good. Yeah, Lindelof as a one-on-one -on -one defender is really poor. And he's been that way since day dot. I think in a system, he's fine. But I always mark a, a defender's quality by how they defend in one-on-one -on -one situations. And Lindelof one-on-one -on -one is shocking. He the, the way he jockeys when he's one-on-one, -on -one, I find baffling. He, he almost does it as if he's a fullback, but he's central. And you can't be showing one side to a player when you're a central defender because they, they've got if that if that player is two footed they shoot. Simple as that. I just 
man, there's a lot of dead wood in that squad still. And and you can see now when you took out our two starting center backs, the drop off is huge. Yeah. And I can't believe, can we seriously give some credit to Oligona Solskjaer? He managed to get us to second and third with these two. Man, he deserves some oh, credit. Look, no one needs to credit Solskjaer more than me. I, I backed his corner more than most, and I thought the criticism and sort of over-the-top nature towards Solskjaer was, I hate the word, but disgraceful. It was shocking, um, not just by the Very media, but by the fan base. Uh, in the presser. Tonight, we weren't ready for the game, and that cannot be. Uh, this is a great occasion, an opportunity to win something, and we gave it away. We have to blame ourselves. Uh, the players on the pitch have to perform. I believe in them, but they have to show. Um, I guess indirectly saying his players were crap. Valid. Um, and he mentioned it's a problem. We can't run, run away from it. On Sunday, we have to step up and show more character and more personality. On Sunday, okay, obviously, we all agree with that. Those are the things that need to be done. The, obviously, the question, why will they be done? Paul Scholes made a comment on Martial, and i got to be honest, I did think it, but I didn't want to come out here and say it. But if Paul Scholes can say it, then I can definitely get behind it. Paul Scholes said this about Martial. When the going gets tough, he doesn't really have the heart for it. When United go 2-0 down, Martial's grabbing his calf, starts limping. I've seen that I've seen that more than once from Martial. Once we're losing, I wonder, does he have the desire for it? I think it's a valid question. I'm not going to say it's right or wrong either way, but I think it's absolutely valid. As soon as we start losing, he seems to find it a niggle. Look, look, I think that that's something we can label individually and collectively at players and squads over the last 10 years at Manchester United. I think Martial's kind of, you'd have to argue, maybe sums up our last 10 years in regards to, okay, look, looks good on paper, has the quality. Yeah, when things get tough or when things need a bit something different, do they do they offer that? And maybe not. So, look, I think there is a case of that. I think the obvious comparison there in regards to the one that does stick out in my mind, which I called before they actually sort of injury happened, was Paul Pogba at Anfield. Sometimes you can see these things sort of happen um, ahead of time. And Anthony Martial there, when things get tough, or whether it's, I don't want to say fake an injury because Anthony Marshall's injured all the time. So the, the money would suggest that it's a proper injury, unfortunately. But um, yeah, uh, I think regardless of, hey, sort of looking for a way out or not, I just think in regards to not being able to perform when things get tough, I think that's, that's the issue. That's why that guy back there is my favourite Manchester United player because he, he had all the ability in the world, but he ran like an absolute pit bull on the football pitch. And, and he, he finished his career early, mind you, because of the, how he played. But Wayne Rooney gave it his all. And he could score 34 goals. Martial's best return is 22. This guy could score th close to 40 goals a season. And he'll still be running back, whether we're up 4-0 or we're losing 3-0. Wayne Rooney never gave in. Wayne Rooney was the epitome of what a Manchester United player is. I don't know how many players on that football pitch can really say that they are. I agree, but then cast our mind back to when we were in the Carabao Cup final when we beat Manchester City and yeah. we were at the pub and what we say these players do have it. Yeah, no, I mean, when, when it's going well, these players get going. But when we face a bit of adversity... But why does our discussion as fans... Or, or, why as fans are we just as stupid as fans and we just get caught up in the hype? Why aren't we having those discussions when we win? Well, I think well, we have had these discussions yeah. when we win. When we won the Carabao Cup, did anyone say, yeah, Harry Maguire's got a future at Manchester United? Did anyone say Fred or Scott McTominay? No, no, no but I mean, in regards to, to but I mean, in regards to questioning their mentality and questioning their attitude, like I surely, regardless of regardless of results or execution, if we're talking about a player's attitude, surely that discussion should sort of outweigh any positive result. Like that should be the if someone's attitude's yeah, not right, course, we should sort of but... be discussing that more than any sort of good result. 
I agree with you, Tom. But but then if I if we come on here after winning a Carabao Cup final and I'm t- telling you about how shit I think Harry Maguire's attitude is, well then I'm the negative asshole who's on YouTube always being negative in, in a positive moment, right? So we don't want to be those kind of people. And when we have a negative result, there's an opportunity to highlight why it was so negative. But when when we have a positive result, then we want to keep up that positive energy because no one wants to come on a YouTube and realize that the world is ending, right? So at the end of the day, I think our criticisms of the players have remained the same. No one's come onto this channel and said, Jaden Sancho is going to win a Ballon d'Or and then said, Jaden Sancho is going to be sold the next day. I've come on here and I've asked questions. You've come on here and you've asked questions. And when he puts in performances like today, we say, well, maybe we're getting the answer to those questions. It's as simple as that. And uh, same with like Fred, perfect example. Fred's been playing well at times this season. Fred shouldn't be a Manchester United player long-term. That doesn't change. And that's why we're fighting for the Carabao Cup as opposed to fighting for the league with Arsenal and Manchester City. This is our level right now. All valid points. Now, look, I don't know if I enjoyed this discussion, Larry, or or feel worse. I think maybe a little bit of both. I've enjoyed um, the discussion. Apologies to everyone. Well, first of all, thank you, everyone, in the live chat for all your comments. Do appreciate them all coming in. But just the conversation was flowing and everything. Sort of so many heated discussions and so so many different opinions. Not sure which ones to pick from the live chat, but do appreciate all the interactions. Um, If you are watching on playback and want any talking points with us, throw it in the comments. And we can sort of further the discussion there, but do appreciate everyone's interaction. Please do leave a like on the video on your way up before, or before you head out and make sure you do subscribe if you are new. Yeah, but Rob's Larry, right. Rob's right, by the way. And I, I maintain that on his day in terms of ability, he is world-class. Is Does he have a world-class mentality? Does he have world-class fitness record? No. And even me as the biggest Martial fan, like I've had it with him now. And I said it, I, I, I literally said it. I said, Tom, if he gets injured again, after this most recent return, stamp his papers. He came off. Stamp his papers. Look, it's hard. Look, I'm going to go on back and unfortunately, you just mentioned one or two quotes from Eric Ten Hag. When I sort of watch these press conferences, I really look at, okay, the quotes are one thing. I want to look at the body language of Eric Ten Hag and see sort of what, if he means these words or what his intent is. I think he's a shit he liar, Ten Hag, you know. I but, think but he, I want to... He says the right words, doesn't he? But when you look at his body, you, you like, that, that, that's all I want to see. I, I want to see the facial yeah. expression, and you, you get a sense for what he's feeling. And um, look, it's, it's a big one Dutch. against big one against Brighton. As I said, even if we were at full strength, I think Brighton in the FA Cup, I think they beat us. I think they beat us quite comfortably. I think given our situation, they beat us. I don't want to say smash us, but I think they very easily do us at old uh, Wembley on the weekend. Unfortunately, which, which will be tough viewing, but we'll be here, no doubt. It's Monday morning, I think one thirty on a Monday morning, which is obviously a tricky one. But um, just in regards to that discussion as we move on, I, as I said, I think we do go out. Hypothetically, we do go through treble, Manchester City, Manchester United. Just your current thoughts in regards to We had discussion over the last sort of three months in regards to Arsenal and City. And I think deep down, a lot of us always sort of wanted Arsenal. But then the realisation of having to deal with Arsenal fans, you know, oh, hang on, might as well give it to City in regards to we don't have to deal with any City fans winning the league. It'll go away after two days of discussion. Ultimately, now the sort of realisation that City are very strong favourites to win this treble, um, sort of the hope has gone back to Arsenal winning the league. And if that's not the case, if City do get the job done in the league, we have to rely on either us or Real Madrid and um, or potentially Brighton. So I'm just thinking on our doorstep in regards to us dealing with it and us saving the treble, um, not, not your likelihood of it happening because the likelihood is obviously very, very low, but just your thoughts in regards to, as a Man United fan, um, having the treble on the line. I think they're a hell of a shout for making it happen. 
and I, I, I would say well, they're, no, they're, no, no, they're, they're more likely to do it than not do it, yeah. to be honest. Like, and just look at their team on paper. And I want to stop short of saying, like, but if you, in terms of the depth of their squad, it's stronger than what United had in 99. In terms of depth, I think United's strongest 11 was unbelievable. But that City oh, yeah. team is a joke. Oh, you, you look at the money's moved on in 30 years. Absolutely, right? And and that's the thing. Like, they can put out two strong 11s, maybe minus the fullbacks. And you know what? Like, regardless of how you feel about Manchester City, you got to give Pep Guardiola some credit too, man. He played with four centre-backs against Bayern Munich and won 3-0 last week. Like, he, he, he's revolutionary. He He's revolutionised how football is played. I, like, you know, I've seen people criticise him and no successful manager goes their career without being criticized. I've seen it against Fergie. Oh, well, he only won the Champions League twice. That doesn't mean he wasn't a brilliant manager. But do you get what I mean? Like, there's always a flaw to pick out in somebody. Mm. But Pep Guardiola, like, you can't argue with the way he revolutionizes football. And he's bottled it a couple times. I will say this, though. If they don't win the Champions League this season, man, he's a bottle job. Like, When is the... When do the fixtures? Let's say we do get through against Brighton into that final. Obviously, who's they got? Sheffield United, City are in the final. I'm not sure Sheffield United will even show up. To be honest, that's um quite daunting for them. I think that could be maybe seven or eight nil, unfortunately. But where does the fixtures fall in regards to a Champions League final and FA Cup final? Is it Champions League midweek or a weekend? Sometimes it's weekend now from memory. Like I'm just thinking, would the FA Cup final be a few days before the Champions League, or would there be a week between fixtures? The FA Cup final is going to be on uh, June 3rd. So I think the Champions League final will be before it. Yeah, could it be? Yeah, no, potentially. I just thought the Champions League was the last fixture. Um, I couldn't see a situation. Well, I'll play in about seven seconds, mate. That simply couldn't happen. You couldn't uh, win a treble yeah, with the Champions FA Cup. Champions League final on the 11th of June. So the FA Cup would be yeah, the So, so they'll, be playing full strength in, they'll be playing full strength in the FA Cup final then, no doubt, <laughs> which doesn't fill yeah. me with confidence. I was hoping for a little bit of... Sort of a little bit of a, sort of Pep Guardiola rotation, but that's simply not going to happen if we do get there. But as I, say, I think Rob bringing it up, honestly, I think Brighton could give City a run in the final. Unfortunately, I do think that'll be the case. But um, we'll be back either tonight or tomorrow. We'll have a look to, ahead to the Brighton final, Brighton FA Cup semi final. I'm a little bit more clearer eyes and sort of it's been a frustrating discussion today, Larry. Obviously, I, probably a much needed one. And I said, do appreciate everyone's thoughts in the live comments and opinions. Now, um, sort of the, the one sort of caveat or tell or the one sort of saving grace just from a personal opinion is the discussions I have with so many people who say they don't care about the Europa League. I can see by the comments that people do care about the Europa League and that's a good thing. That's not to, but um, yeah, I think a lot of people lie to themselves saying, I don't care if I get knocked out. Well, if you didn't care, you got knocked out, you should be happy today. Ultimately, no one's happy and we're right not to be happy. And um, yeah, tough one today, Larry, tough one. Indeed. Let's move on, eh? Happy weekend, everybody. Yeah, hope everyone does have a good weekend. I'd say make sure you hit the notification bell and ask subscribe so you do sort of get notified when we do go live for our match preview or next video. And um, yeah, hope everyone tries to enjoy their weekend and um, the best you can. And um, fingers crossed United and Eric Ten Hag can bounce back because, my God, they need to. But until then, have a good one and we'll chat to you soon. Cheers. Cheers.